Welcome back to another episode of T-10. It's a show with 10-minute takes on the future of health education. And today I'm joined by Dr. Mufadal Keda of ChenMed. Welcome to the program, Dr. Keda. Good to have you. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for the invite. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. My pleasure. And it's always good to see you again. Always good to catch up. I think it would be helpful here for listeners to get an understanding of your role now at, at ChenMed, a relatively recent role. Um, so if you could describe kind of what you're working on, what your focus is, and then also, if you don't mind giving a little bit of background about where you've come from prior to ChenMed and your kind of perspectives on the, the kidney care space in particular. Oh, sure. Sure. Well, thank you. And again, uh, Tim, thank you for the opportunity to come here and converse with you. You know, we've talked before, and this is another great opportunity to to share some of the stuff that you can take it to your audience and what what we've been building or doing at ChenMed, as well as uh, with my personal goals in kidney space. So, um, so I'm 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 a board certified nephrologist um, who is currently in the role of national director of kidney care at ChenMed. That's that's my title. I've been in this role for over a year now. For your audience who don't know ChenMed, um, this is a one of the premier value-based care provider in the United States. Uh, over a hundred thousand patients, over a dozen of states, twelve to fourteen states, and rapidly growing company. Um, so with that said, my goal or my role at ChenMed, it pretty much aligns with my overarching goal in kidney care space, which is scaling delivery of kidney care through primary care. So I use that as my tool, my go-to, that is primary care, and then deliver kidney care to the masses. That's how I scale kidney care. And, and it's beautiful what's happening at ChenMed and how we're able to deliver that piece. That's great to hear, uh, especially the, the focus on primary care. I know so much is talked about about how to solve that challenge because it's with kidney disease and uh, no or few symptoms in the early stages and how to identify it as early as possible. I know primary care is always the, the unknown, the, the how do we help patients, serve patients, identify these patients as early as possible, and then get them the effective care management in place. So I think in addition to that background, uh, if you could describe maybe a couple of other either projects or things you've worked on in the past, because again, I know uh, you have been quite active on the education side of kidney care. Yeah, and uh, you know, so the, one of the things that has made uh, the most meaningful impact in designing the kidney care program for ChenMed, um, basically, it's based on three pillars. The first pillar is education. So it's education number one. Number two is care coordination. And number three is analytics and reporting, all that data stuff. And, and, and so the pillar one, which is education, has been the go-to, the design thing that when I came on board, that's what we brought in. Um, from a specialist hat on me being a nephrologist and we're developing a specialty program here, the client or the customers for that education has been not just a patient, that a typical a doctor would think, oh, I got to educate my patient. But when I'm in my role where I'm kind of directing and designing a program, one of my major customers is my primary care physicians because that they are they are the, the face of the delivery of care for the patient. So it's educating them, resource developing resources and tools that are meaningful for them, and then empowering them in a way how to deliver that to the patient. So it, it's, a, it's a two different tiers of what tools I build. 
uh, and, and is educating the primary care and how to deliver and what to deliver has been a, a, has been a, a kind of a task on hand that has been pretty good, um, you know. One of the things that you you know, Tim, you're in the kidney space. Some in education is up is is educating patients about dialysis options, different types of dialysis, and how do you even get a patient to get engaged in conversation about dialysis so they can make a meaningful decision. And what happens? The risk is if you don't do that correctly, you don't engage the patient. What happens to them is they crash into dialysis. Just by engaging primary care with what we're doing in my program and how we got them working on educating patients and improving the dialysis education has decreased the crash into dialysis by 50% in, in six months' time. So, uh, I mean, and this is all being done by primary care physician, which I'm so proud of here. First of all, congratulations to, to you and the team. That's it's such a, an amazing accomplishment in those numbers. I mean, especially those who are involved in kidney care who are listening to this just can appreciate how much of an accomplishment that is. Uh, I'm curious, those discussions, because I'm sure anyone listening will say, well, how, how did, what does this look like? And, and my question to you is, when you think about education, I like to ask people who come on the show, how do you think about what education looks like? And so for you in your context, are these in-person interactions that are happening between the primary care physician and the patient or patient and family when they're in the office? Are these asynchronous? Are these virtual? How are you thinking about what education actually looks like right now in, in that workflow? So the, when we went version one with the design of the program, it was all meant to be designed for in-person, one-on-one, thinking we're going to, um, the media or the content to deliver that education was not was not a major focus. That is, are we going to do it in a in just videos or PDF or slides? Um, so, irrespective of that, we just said, okay, we're going to do multi multi dimension wise. We're going to do things in PDF if they if that's what works. We're going to record a video version of it if that's what works. And it was all designed to be one on one visit between the primary care and the patient. And then we and then the COVID time came, right? And then we got this a kind of blessing in disguise here about trying to think virtual. Um, so that had led on to a lot of these educational items that we put together. The delivery of it being a lot of it has turned towards virtual and even at home. That's where I'm so excited to see where this whole thing is moving. Is now we are going to patients' home um, in a virtual way to deliver that education. Either, you know, even it could be as simple as a, a phone call conversation, which is a virtual education. Uh, but a lot of things are, are turning virtual. Uh, and less in person, but there's, uh, depending on patient's need, we have different platforms. It's so important. I know a lot of what we focus on and what I've learned from, from our team is, is that that multi-modality, multimedia approach is so important for, for how people actually are wired to learn. And I know we've had this discussion before, but I'm really glad to hear that that's kind of how you're thinking about things, even in a care setting where so often that the greatest barriers we hear when we talk to primary care physicians, as in one example, is time. You know, when I ask the question of what is your greatest barrier to effective education, most people say time. So I, I have that same question for you as someone who is taking a look at this and how to build out with education as your first pillar. Does one barrier come to mind that is either um, something that's a, a in focus for you right now 
or something that you think might take some time to overcome just in general as you think about growing to new states and including serving more patients? Is there some sort of bandwidth constraint or around education specifically that you're anticipating or trying to plan for? Yeah, you 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 raise an important thing about the time. So the primary care physician, you know, and like any other physician, they're stretched with appointments, the the time slots they have with the patient, and they are always sitting at the beauty of primary care physician is they they sit at a thirty thousand feet view for the patient, so they're thinking holistic. They want to do a lot of different things and a lot of different organ systems, and they don't have a 20-minute time slot to just talk about dialysis education. And and that's great. I mean, that that's what they want to. They, they are good at doing. And and to build a an intervention that's so nephrology or kidney focused in that time frame, so some of them, some physicians will be able to dedicate it completely that 20-minute or 30-minute time slot for kidney. Some will not. And you gotta you gotta be mindful about how we play over the workflow in there. So what has happened is recognizing that the PCPs or primary care is not a single person team. It's always a team of three or four. They have a care coordinator, uh, medical. So what, how can you leverage that helper of the primary care in delivering some of these education? So a good example would be we develop some videos. So they are uh, they are patient voice, patient facing, patient to patient conversation video. We let a primary care start the conversation. Hey, today we're going to talk about kidney failure, and then they're going to have start the video, which is three to five minutes, while they're doing another item and the video plays, the care promoter is in the room. So you have another team member of the primary team playing or doing the education piece, and then the doctor comes back behind, reemphasizes the education, and does some Q&A behind it. So it's kind of that approach where we, we try to be mindful of their time and as well as get the deliverables done out of the way. I really like the approach with bringing patients into the mix and telling stories and having the facilitation of some of those conversations in addition to what you mentioned earlier, which is having PDFs in some cases and videos in others. It just seems like that is um, what we've seen and heard is that really does have an impact, an outsized impact that people might not really appreciate when they think about, well, it's, it's just a video version of a PDF. No, it really is important to engage people in those ways. and to have people there who are peer-to-peer, patient-to-patient, family-to-family, to have those conversations about shared experience. So I, I appreciate that. The, the next question I have for you, because I know you are uh, an AI guru, you have experience kind of building and thinking about the future. Are there any use cases or innovations that are possible, doable, or have been done recently within kidney care that you're excited about when it comes to what AI can do or what, frankly, any innovation within the kidney space is capable of and might have an impact on your world or value-based care as a whole over the next you know, couple of years in the short term. I think one thing, um, is that, thank you for recognizing that. And, you know, I, uh, the past uh, some years have been wonderful because apart from being a nephrologist, I did, I did dabble into the, you know, the AI and then uh, executive uh, uh, healthcare uh, uh, and as well as into uh, starting a health IT, uh, a health IT startup, which has given me a lot of experience in talking in these different areas. The, the thing, one of the things that's commonly happening in the value-based care space, which is primarily a, a, a space in the healthcare system driven by primary care physicians, 
and we're the bottleneck for a primary care physician practicing in value-based care was specialty people. As soon as they hit, they needed a specialty care for any reason for their patient, they could not deliver the value-based aspect of care. Now the beautiful thing that's happening, actually, we're seeing more and more in companies like ChenMed and my organization and several others across the country, is you're seeing what we call specialty value-based care. This is taking off in, 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 a, lot, in a big way, uh, and that's good because now you've got like-minded people, like-minded specialists like myself, a nephrologist or a neurologist or a pulmonologist, all these folks that align with the primary care physician who wants to deliver value-based care. So that alignment is, is truly, I mean, as simple as it sounds, it is an innovation. And, and to deliver upon that is what I, I, I like to see is uh, some of these sophisticated pathways, what we call clinical decision support or clinical pathways. Um, They're done very well in oncology space where they do multidisciplinary clinical pathways where they engage the social worker, the dietitian, the oncologist, and the primary care. I like to see that, or I'm seeing that coming into even kidney space, where we're engaging the primary care, the dietitian, the social worker, the specialist, in before, that happens, this happens, the multidisciplinary thing happens in the dialysis clinic, but we're seeing more in the CKD side and non-dialysis space. Um, that's an innovation. Delivery of all that virtually is an innovation, I think, that's taking, uh, you know, gaining traction. So. That's that's excellent. I I know that uh, I've been very encouraged, and it's been helpful to see even you know, the FDA and their Digital Health Center of Excellence, which came on board last a couple falls ago. Um, that's been a great resource for those of us who are trying to understand where CDS tools might have their place within uh, the the workflow. So it's just it's nice to see that this is moving from specialty into primary care and that those tools hopefully will be more available to more patients and teams in the next few years. And Tim, uh, something I would say, uh, I think we conversed maybe a little bit about the, the VR aspect of care. I think talking to you and, and some of your fellows, I think that's another wonderful thing that I would like, you know, it'll be, I think it's gonna come to life very soon in coming years where we're gonna see that education. It, it, like, I'm just gonna say use case, a patient who needs to be educated about dialysis, have they ever been to a dialysis clinic? No, most likely not. They never have stepped into a clinic. They don't know what it looks like. What does a shunt look like? What does a needle look like? What does a dialysis machine look like? I can do a lot of those sitting in front of him and just keep talking about dialysis and this and that. Until they see it, they experience it, they want to know. And I think VR and those kind of virtual way of engaging patient in their education and really showing them kind of a feel for the environment, I think it's, it's going to be a very powerful. I, I think that's going to be the, what AI it did some for healthcare, but not as successful. I have a feeling the, the VR and, and what we talk about the metaverse uh, in, in healthcare is going to be, a, 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 is going to be much better than just the AI in healthcare that, that didn't do. Well, you know, I'm, 100% biased, admittedly, uh -huh. but uh, <laughs> I agree with you. And I think that I think we are wired for stories and so much of our work and Dr. Maddox on our team who has taught me the world of learning science and our experiential and emotional centers of the brain and the reasons why VR and AR will be and are now as our work has shown at Icona. This is very powerful when it comes to decision making for patients. You know, you can take that peer to peer patient to patient, transport someone to a new environment, 
into the home setting. Uh, and certainly these are, these are driving real outcomes in care settings and leading to, to very positive outcomes. So I'm with you. Um, we're very excited about the future there. Um, and that's a great kind of segue into the final three questions I have for you. So the first one, I wanna know on a scale from one to 10, I wanna know how optimistic you feel personally about the future of education in value-based kidney care over the next one to two years. So over that same short-term horizon I, I asked about earlier, where is your optimism on the one to 10 scale in the short term? Absolutely 10. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm 100% 10 on this. That, that's gonna, that is moving the needle. Uh, it, education, 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 followed by a little bit of care coordination. You know, you educate to engage and then coordinate to make it happen. Yes. Excellent. And then same question, but on a much longer time horizon, 10 to 20 years. Where, where are you one to 10 over the next uh, optimism scale, next 10 to 20 years? And uh, uh, the education, you know, will, will, will remain the pillar then. It is a pillar number one for me, and it will always remain, uh, you know, in, in, in there. I have a feel that the, 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 the activity, the care coordination and making that operationalizing the action that comes from education. Um, so uh, it, it was shared that uh, the workflow would be better, how we do things be better, and maybe the education window or the effort we put in education will, like instead of doing three visits with the patient over three hours, maybe we'll have effective tools and methods to implement the education. So it's gonna be shorter down to one hour window education and two hours of implementation care coordination. I don't know, I didn't give you a number answer, but I feel like, uh, I think it, it, it still has a lot of value, but I would like to uh, see it operationalized better in the long term. That is that is definitely an answer. If you had to pick a number, just curious, would would it still be a 10? I think it'd still be a 10. I mean, it still have a role Optimism, to hey, it's it's yeah. appreciated. We, we need people like you in leadership roles to, to have two 10s there, so we appreciate it. All right, well, Dr. Kate, I can't thank you enough for coming on. That last thing here, where can people contact you? Where can they find you? Reach out if they want to say hello after listening to this. Absolutely. They can uh, find me on LinkedIn, very active. Uh, you know, that's one way of finding me, uh, Mufatil Keda. Um, that's the only name you're going to probably find on LinkedIn. It's the only one I could find. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, you know, you can, uh, they can directly message me or, or connect me through that. Excellent. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And I know you and I will talk again soon. Likewise. Thank you for having me.